Yeah, so uh, I am a neuroscientist, probably first and foremost, but also uh, involved in technology development. I'm a professor at University of California, San Francisco, where I direct a center called Neuroscape, where we in both create new technologies and also validate them as tools to better understand and improve function. Um, and uh, so when I spoke to Larry, I asked him what he saw as being the the links between attention and imagination. And uh, and his response, he said, I would say that our imagination, our ability to think creatively, uh, is probably on the decline exactly in the opposite trend to our time spent on the smartphone. And I huh. wondered, I wondered whether you would agree with that, and wh what thoughts you might have about how the increasing fracturing and distracting of our imagination might impact, uh, of, of our attention, might impact onto our imagination. Yeah, well, I feel that um, if you don't take the, uh, if you don't value and you don't prioritize having some quiet moments, some pauses in your stream, in the stream of information that floods into our brains, um, it diminishes the chances for a lot of creative thought, um, for making connections between otherwise, you know, non-clearly linked um, events and ideas. Uh, and, you know, what Larry and I really focused on um, that others have as well that, that was uh, prominent in our book was that the just really unprecedented access to information that we now have um, through all the devices and all of the software that we're exposed to that we carry on our bodies that have the ability to contact us when they want to interact as opposed to us reaching out for them. All of these factors have led to a cognitive style where we are consuming voraciously and, and you know, uh, probably in a healthy way, so much information that we don't really take the time to pause and to allow for consolidation and connection, which I think are in many ways the uh, core of the creative process to really take place. And um, uh, the, the um, w when I read this, the, 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 when I read your book and I read Gene Twinge's book and I read some of the stuff that Sherry Turkle has written about mm -hmm. in terms of the impact of smartphones and uh, increasing, I think, felt like in the last six months, the the amount of research coming out about the impact of social media, smartphones on young people, but also on, on, on the rest of us as well. If one were to look at the the digital age as being an experiment, that we are 15, 20 years into that experiment, how would you summarize the the state of where we find ourselves now? Well, I think that um, we're taking toll maybe for the first time in a serious way, and not just scientists and intellectuals and academics, but even the tech leaders and creators themselves, as, as we're starting to see. And um, and it's appropriate, and it, and it's timely. It's probably even a little later than it should have happened. But, um, you know, all technology comes with challenges in addition to opportunity, and there's no lack of them here. 
Um, and it's reasonable to, as, you know, non-biased a way as we can, take a look at, at what the fallout and unintended consequences of all this new technology might be on our minds and how we interact with each other and ourselves and our environment. And that's, you know, that's what's happening now. And, and I think it's a very healthy response. Uh, I hope, I hope we continue to see more of it. And I, you know, I think that if you look across the books that you mentioned and even our work, there is definitely reason for concern. Um, you know, we really present an evolutionary perspective on it in our book, which I think had sort of unique, uh, unique angle. But the, the reality is that no matter what microscope you peer at this through, whether it's just looking at, uh, at the brain through cognitive neuroscience or whether it's looking at behavior in the real world, as Larry tends to do in his research or, you know, the many other, um, uh, avenues of investigation, the conclusion is that our brains, especially those of young people, but all of us, have been challenged in a way that has had negative consequences. I don't think anyone could deny that now. Um, but, you know, um, I tend to fall more on the optimistic side than the pessimistic side. I feel like that is an amazing starting point for us to create new technologies or modify our existing technologies um, in an informed way, what, given what we have, what, what we're learning from this experiment and and use technology in a healthier manner and, and even in a way that improves and enhances us. And I spend most of my time both in my both at UCSF as well as companies that I have started to accomplish this, which is to create technologies or leverage existing ones that enhance what makes us human and, and doesn't diminish it. And that's the goal. And, I, you know, I'm optimistic that with um, with the insights we're learning from observing what we've created and and its effects, we'll be able to build better technology that's, you know, serve to elevate us. I mean, one of the one of the insights that I got from from your book was that actually evolutionarily we are we're kind of almost powerless in the face of some of this stuff. It's it's more particularly with the stuff that's being designed in to make to, 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 to maximize the kind of dopamine response to all of these things. Is, is it possible that we can get on top of it? Or do you think in 10 or 15 years, we're going to look back and feel like we've really, we really unleashed something on society that, that actually was on balance, uh, not worth the, not worth it. I, I think we can get on top of it. I think that there are clearly very significant, um, and, um, disturbing in some ways challenges that have uh, uh, arisen from modern information technology and, and all of its complexities that, that, that we have around us now. But um, I think that there is amazing potential to design um, and develop, distribute, and use technology in a better way. And as long as both the technology community, the investors, the practitioners, the users, the regulators um, are open-minded to uh, rethinking how we uh, create and use technology, we can have a really amazing future with it. I, I, I really do believe that. Um, and, I, and, I, and what I'm seeing and the conversations that I'm having, including with, you know, very 
very successful tech leaders is that everyone gets it. You know, not everyone, but many, many people get it a lot more now than they did five years ago. Um, they maybe see it in their children. They see it in their they see the burden in their own minds. Um, maybe it's from reading a book like ours or maybe it's just from being introspective and feeling the burden of having information uh, that is controlling you and technology that's controlling you rather than the other way around. So, you know, I feel like this in when we look back in 20 years from now, I would think that right around now is what we will view as the pivoting point where we started taking stock of what technology has done, both good and bad, and, and move forward more thoughtfully. And how do, and how do you see the, uh, in, in that scenario, how do you see that we might get around the fact that that if you are an app developer, you want people to use your you, you want people to use your app, and it's you've spent millions of pounds developing your app, and your app is going to be the most successful one because it has the most of that sort of dopamine addictive sort of stuff built into it. Who, in 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 a in the cutthroat capitalist world of Silicon Valley, yeah. what does that sort of de-escalation of the dopamine arms race look like in practice? Do you think? Yeah, I mean it's a great question, and, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't um, say that I have all those answers. And I have been in a lot of rooms on retreats and brainstorming think tank, think tank groups to start imagining how how this can happen. So I don't have the answers, but I do think that there is a way to target an app or any technology in a particular manner towards a, a certain type of a activity, a certain time and day and time in, in, in your life um, that is not all consuming and you could still be successful and still have a bottom line of generating profits, but it's done in a way that's more thoughtful uh, in terms of how it would be incorporated in someone's life in a way that is more cohesive with the other things that are really important for them. Mm -hmm. And what are the implications in a society when our attention spans are so are so shot to bits? You know, you you mentioned the thing about wondering about so you said about whether someone would read read your book. You know, I think that that the, the number of people who actually read books seems to be declining. Yeah. And, and I've really noticed when I've been researching this book, having spent the previous five years doing quite an online sort of existence of blogs and Facebook and putting this, that, and that actually my attention span is absolutely hopeless. Yeah. Um, what, 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 what impact do you think that's having on our democracy, on our social, on oh. social relationships? How, how does that, what are the knock on impacts of that? I mean, I think that the, the negative impacts are very broad. Uh, I'm writing a piece now framing this essentially as a, a crisis, a cognition crisis that we are facing. Um, and, you know, if you look across the range of activities that our, our brain performs, essentially what our, our mind is, you know, it includes perception and memory and um, decision making, emotional and aggression regulation, as well as critical things like empathy compassion wisdom and i think that the uh the fragmentation of attention is a is is a you know a, a core component of why we're seeing challenges across all those other abilities including imagination uh they're they're very interconnected these these abilities of the mind and so without 
improving them and assessing them, being prioritized, and the challenges that technology has placed on them, I believe that we are in a you know in a crisis right now, and that that crisis affects other uh, addressing other things like climate change, and it reverberates across all of the crises that we have. Um, so we have to recognize it for what it is, um, and that's that's the article that I'm writing now to try to really bring that into sharp focus um, in a very broad way. Um, but I think that, you know, technology has played a role in at least aggravating the crisis. And it's time to think about how we can develop solutions using technology. When I when I, I, I was reading Fire and Fury, the Donald Trump book recently, and mm. the thing that was most interesting with that was they were saying, that that he is that he is somebody with almost zero attention span. It's kind of, mm -hmm. That was really the big yeah. knocked out to me in the book. Um, yeah, I, and you know, there's certainly been you know compl or concern about empathy and compassion as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, most certainly, yeah, and imagination, some might say. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I uh, was read something that Douglas Rushkoff wrote recently where where he was he wrote a book called Present Shock where he said that one of the side effects of these uh of this the, um the way that smartphones mean that we're always on and always anticipating more information and always trying to keep up with the information that we have had coming in he said you know up until recently the only people who ever had that were 911 responders or air traffic controllers who only worked three hour shifts at a time and uh -huh. a lot of us are in that kind of constant state where we're we're constantly trying to keep up with the present which yeah. which is interesting for me because part of what i'm looking at is well why is it that we have become so bad at at thinking about and talking about the future like the future seems to have dropped out of our conversation when i was a kid in the 80s everyone talked about the future all the time and now mm -hmm. everyone talks about how great the 1950s were and shouldn't we go back mm -hmm. to that again you know do you think there is that there is a, a do you think there's something in that in that that idea of us being just constantly on uh, and therefore yeah. unable to look up and look ahead from us from us yeah i, I think it's sort of harkens back to, to the first point that I was trying to make about those quiet moments, those pauses, um, those breaks in the constant stream of information and data that pours into our brains. Um, and those, those are the times when reflection on both the past and the future and imagination and um, new perspectives take place. If they're, if the fire hose is always on full blast and information is always um, coming in and most of that information is obviously about the present, it does set up the conditions to become preoccupied with the present and, um, and never pause to consolidate and look forward. Uh, I, I think it is a problem. Um, uh, you know, I feel the allure of it myself or the pull of it, um, whether or not it's alluring, you still could feel the, you know, the, 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 the pulling nature of constantly just cycling through information, whether it be in Facebook or the news feed, you know, or pretty much your email, everything else. It's just literally, you know, I always call it like just the treadmill. You just feel like, you're on it 
you're pushing all the time. You're not getting anywhere, but it's never going off, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, even just, I never have been someone that's read the news a lot. You know, I've kept up. I don't think I've been uninformed, but I, it certainly, I haven't had a TV in, you know, 20 years. It's certainly nothing that I've ever, um, felt that I was hooked on. Um, I'd rather read a fiction novel usually than the news, but lately, it's hard to not read the news. I mean, a lot mm. of books that I start reading seem pretty boring compared to flipping <laughs> over to looking what CNN or Fox News has to say. And so it's actually been a challenge to find a book that's been absorbing enough that, that I don't feel like maybe I should switch over to the news. So I find that pretty upsetting um, that, you know, it, it has become like, you know, in a lot of ways, like a reality TV show, mm. which I've always successfully avoided um uh i thought for my you know my you know as a benefit uh to to focusing on other things in life and now i feel like i am hooked on you know the current reality tv show which is our our world news Mm -hmm. um and so i i do find it uh problematic when it comes to uh long-range thinking for the reasons you said that it does lead to a cognitive style of constant engagement in the with just what's going on in the moment Mm -hmm. and one of the questions i've asked everybody that i've interviewed has been um if it had been you that had been elected just over a year ago uh as the president and rather than running on a make america great again platform you would run on a make america imaginative again uh program what might be some of the things you might have done in your first hundred days in office? Huh. I think, you know, maybe I, there's so many answers I'd have to what I would say with with a single word. But one that I think encompasses a lot of it would be, you know, to make America thoughtful again. Um, you know, and I think the word thoughtful could be pretty broad. Um, and I hope it would mean attentive and compassionate um, and creative and all of those things. So, um, you know, just really honing in on what makes us human, what, where are the deepest values of what it means to be a human on the planet earth right now and how do we enhance them? Uh, and, and there's so many aspects to that in so many ways we can do it, but I don't hear that conversation happening very often even even critics of the current administration i don't always you know see that attention towards our minds and what's happening to the way we think um broadly and that's what what really concerns me mm-hmm. and you mentioned you mentioned climate change earlier i wondered um you know when when we live in a time when we live in the the age of the distracted mind or the or the the mm-hmm. age of the cognition crisis mm-hmm. i wonder what th- what thoughts you might have about what that means for for activists campaigners when when we're putting messages out to people yeah. who don't read anything anymore yeah. and have a you're, sort of you're, 10 second yeah. attention span what yeah you're in trouble you're in trouble uh it's uh the type of thinking that's involved with wrapping your head around climate change um is so far beyond just having facts and information which is we have plenty of that it involves really long time delayed 
thinking process where you, you know, you, you put your reality in a, in a, in a future, even a distant future potentially. And then the type of connection with other people and the planet itself, um, which demands an incredible amount of both empathy and compassion. Um, and then, you know, complex high level decision making abilities about how you manage all of those um, elements with the current reality and the, you know, the practical challenges of changing something uh, on a global scale. So with all of those ingredients, it's a setup for disaster, not just um, because it's hard to learn information about the climate, which it is, but we have learned a lot about that's turning out to not be the major problem. The major problem is because of the cognition crisis or the distracted mind. It, it will It'll be something that I, be, I do not have a lot of confidence that we'll be able to effectively manage if we don't first put the emphasis on improving how our minds function. Mm. So it would, we need to find ways of communicating climate change that, that, that release, that, that generate more dopamine than Fox News. <laughs> I mean, that would be a start. Uh, but, you know, I think that the more long lasting sustained approach is to figure out how we assess and build these features, these functions of cognition. How do we make young people pay better attention and make wiser decisions, regulate their emotions more effectively and feel empathy and deploy co compassion we we need to we need to get back to the basics mm -hmm. it's not just passing on the co the climate change story it's actually having the machinery between our ears that could deal with such a complex issue mm -hmm. so we're we're almost out of time i i just I just if you had any last questions about imagination and the links to attention that i haven't asked you the right question for just any last thoughts on imagination i suppose no i, I mean i'd say on imagination and, and maybe to make it a little broader think about creativity because you know i think that there's great overlap between mm -hmm. those um you know sometimes someone will ask me well isn't isn't the uh, ability to be so focused almost too focused a detriment when it comes to imagination and creativity and that's a it's an interesting uh question and there's some validity in that i think that having the uh, focus, but also the openness to information that you might not have goals direct related to will allow you to, uh, you know, to have inspiration outside of uh, what you planned. Um, and so I, I see value in that. But where I push back is if you if you are too distracted, then you might be very imaginative and creative, but you might never get any anything done <laughs> with it. And so you might be. Uh, a brilliant artist full of amazing ideas, but you would but never get more than a quarter of the way through creating something because you'd be pulled away. So I actually think it's uh, like everything in life. Um, there is too much of a good thing and too little of it as well. And so, yes, focus is important, but of course, keeping your mind open and flexible to take in new things and even a little distractible is probably good as well. So that's the, that's the trick, you know, that healthy balance um, that moves you through life in a purposeful way where you accomplish your goals, but yet you're still explorative and uh, inventive. Um, and that's uh, a balance.